Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 13. I'm your host, Otis Chirey. And in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you. All of them from author Kitty Olson, also known in horror circles as the Odd Cat Lady, about peculiar patients Suspicious Specters, Killer Confessions, and Woodland Wonders. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first three spine-tingling stories. 
If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the tear, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale from Kitty Olson deals with a recent admittance to the hospital, a peculiar case whose presence is not only a strange one, but potentially fatal as well. Without further ado, I present to you Doctor's Notes. I cannot share all the details of what happened on March 3rd, 2018. As a doctor, I'm not allowed to share certain private details, so names have been changed, and I do not mention what hospital I worked at at the time. There has to be some sort of logical explanation as to what happened. So far, I haven't come up with any. Here are my notes I took that night. Three people are dead because of that woman's presence, and I need to find a reason why so I can continue going on with life. Everything has to have a rational reason. More so, I thought. 6.29 p.m. Jane Doe was brought in about ten minutes prior, ages somewhere in her early twenties, she would be quite tall when standing, almost six foot two. She's African-American with two minor injuries between her shoulder blades. The skin has been taken clean off and seems to be done expertly. I believe someone may have been trying to skin her, possibly to hide an identifying mark, like a tattoo. Jane Doe was found walking naked down a street in a daze. She was found by two young women who took her in immediately to the emergency ward. By the time they reached it, Jane was unconscious and unresponsive. I hold high hopes for her recovery, as other than injuries on her back, she seems to be perfectly healthy. 7.01 p.m. Had to calm down Derek Peterson again. Peterson woke up screaming about demons and had to be given a sedative. He really needs a transfer to a proper mental ward, but his parents only want him to be treated for his injuries before he's sent home. Like this time, and every other time. 8.09 p.m. Jane Doe is awoken. She seems to be all right in mind, but claims to not remember who she is and what happened to her. I have reason to believe she's lying, but it appears she's gone through some sort of trauma, and I don't believe she's ready to relive it. I ordered a rape kit, but she doesn't appear to show the typical signs of sexual assault, other than being found nude. The storm is picking up, and I'm going to get a migraine from this. 8.38 p.m. Jane Doe somehow escaped from her room and ended up in the room of Agnes Church. She was sitting by the elderly woman and stroking her hand, almost comfortingly. I managed to guide Jane back to her room and apologized to Agnes, 
but Agnes had already fallen back asleep. I imagine that's really all that's left for her. Sleep. Jane's being put back in her room, and I've assigned a nurse to her door. We can't have her wandering around the hospital. She could hurt herself. 8.55 p.m. Agnes passed away not five minutes ago. I can't seem to shake off this odd chill about the uncanny timing of her meeting Jane and her death, but it is circumstantial. Agnes hasn't been right for days. I knew her end was coming soon. I'll miss playing board games with her on the weekends. If there's a heaven, she's likely playing Yahtzee with the angels now, and somehow winning every time, even if it is a luck game. 9.23 p.m. Jane got out of her room again. The nurse left to use the bathroom, and by the time she got back, Jane was gone because she was in my office. She's incredibly sweet. All she wanted to tell me was that she remembered her name. Leah. I'm not the kind of man to get so captivated with his patients, but something about Leah tugs at my heart. I suppose she reminds me of my sister before the cancer weakened her spirit. I took Leah back to her room and told her that she shouldn't leave until we can find someone she knows. She seemed mildly agitated with this, but she didn't object. 10.42 p.m. Derek passed away. This shouldn't have happened. One moment he was enjoying TV while chattering the ear off of the nurse who was checking his bandages when, as she describes, his eyes rolled back in his skull and he fell backward, choking and thrashing about. We tried to save him, but he was gone within minutes. It was like his body just ceased. I'm going over his treatment, but he wasn't allergic to any of the medication we gave him, and other than his mental disorders, he was perfectly healthy. Leah tried to get out during the chaos, but I managed to catch her before she left her wing. She said she wanted outside for a breath of fresh air, but I have no doubt if she leaves the hospital, we'll never see her again. We're still trying to get a positive ID on her. There are no girls in the area matching her description with the name of Leah who've been reported missing. We might have to widen our search. The storm's only getting worse. I think there's something wrong with the air, because I've had no less than two bloody noses tonight, and my head is pounding. 11.01 p.m. Once again, Leah tried to escape. She's begged to be released and claims she remembers how to get home, but she cannot name an address nor any relatives who can pick her up. She still doesn't remember her own surname. The police are here now trying to ID her. I just got word she escaped again. 11.32 p.m. Leah was found attempting to get to the roof. She claims that's the way home. We've now had to restrain her to the bed, as she is now classified as a suicide risk. Officer Matthew Reynolds said she had taken off her hospital gown and was about to jump when he tackled her. I'm thankful she didn't succeed with her attempt to kill herself, but I'm worried she'll try again. 11.45 p.m. Reynolds is dead. He just dropped in the hallway. 
just like Derek. I have an unsettling feeling that Leah may be connected to this. 12.01 a.m. The power was knocked out by the storm. We're running off generators now. The lights are constantly flickering. Two nurses have fainted, thankfully not dead, but both experiencing bloody noses and migraines. I can feel my own head start to pound. I swear there's blood pattering against the windows, but that's impossible. I might need to go home or go to the emergency room. 12.33 a.m. Birds are flying into the windows. Like drawn to a beacon, they're flying to the building, smacking against the glass and falling to the ground dead. The sound certainly isn't helping my head. I need to talk to Leah, but I believe she's asleep and is under guard by two officers. It's foolish to believe that this girl could be causing such madness, but I don't know what else to think. 12.45 a.m. The officers have fallen unconscious, and Leah is nowhere to be found. I'm checking the roof now. 1.12 a.m. Leah is gone. She flew away. 8.31 a.m. I was found on the roof unconscious shortly after I wrote that nonsense message in my notes. My face was apparently covered in blood, and they thought I might be dead, but I survived the experience, whatever that experience was. I must have hallucinated everything, but I shall take note of it anyway. I found Leah standing on the edge of the roof, once again nude, and staring at the sky. She turned to look at me. Will you stop me? Her voice was hollow, tired. Lightning flashed, and I swore I saw something on her back, illuminated by the lightning. I tried to talk her down, show her there's a better way, but she shook her head. I have to try. I have to try to get home, Doctor. This is the only way to see if I can still fly. She jumped then. I ran to the edge of the roof and peered over the ledge. I saw Leah's body on the ground. But I saw her also stand, brush herself off like she'd suffered a minor fall. She looked up at me and I became overwhelmed with grief. I wept. I cried as she raised her head to the sky and screamed at the top of her lungs. The sound of loss, the sound of heartbreak. I must have passed out then, because that's all I remember. Thankfully, I seem no worse for wear, and will likely return to work in a few days. Leah is missing, but there is no sign of her body either. I think she's going to spend the rest of eternity trying to find a way home. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Doctor's Notes, as written by author Kitty Olson and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Olson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Olson, spelled O-L-S-E-N. From there, you'll be redirected to her profile on our horror fiction site, creepypastastories.com, where you'll find links to her official website and social media accounts, including Reddit, where a veritable smorgasbord of free content is available for you to check out. Not only that, but you'll find a link to her Amazon page, where you'll find a handful of her self-authored books, as well as a number of amazing anthologies she's been included in over the years, involving not just Kitty, but many other authors you've heard on this program over the years. If you do decide to stop by her profile or pick up her books, please leave Kitty a kind word and let her know you heard about her here on this show. And that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Now, if the odd cat lady's first taste of terror has given you a case of cat scratch fever and you're itching for more, I've got just the thing with another spooky tale from her sizable library. In tonight's second brush with the eerie, Mrs. Olson introduces us to a nice family, all normal, just moving into a normal house. Unless, of course, you count the ghosts the children have been talking to. Let's all just hope he's as friendly as the children seem to think he is. Without further ado, I present to you Walter the Ghost. Two months ago, we moved into our new place. It's honestly amazing. Huge property, beautiful forests, and an old barn out back that my wife Lydia hoped to remodel into a workshop. She loves wood carving. We have two sons and a daughter. Elliot is ten, Joey is eight, and Samantha is five. The old house is big enough for the kids to have their own rooms, but Joey gets night terrors still, so he bunks up with Elliot. Elliot doesn't complain. He's a solid big brother. Of course, no move is without its difficulties, the kids miss all their old friends and they're still adjusting to a new school, a new schedule. The job I had lined up told me I was no longer needed, so things went belly up there. Bills got a little tight. So that's why I didn't bat an eyelash when Samantha started talking about Walter. 
Samantha has always had a hell of an imagination. She tended to make up a new friend every week. A few weeks before, it was Paula, a girl about her age wearing a bright red dress. Before that, it was Ruby, Mary, Nick. You get the point. Typical attention span of a little one. But Walter stuck around. Walter was an old man, by which... Samantha's standards meant probably about 40 or 50. He lived in the closet, and Samantha would leave him strawberry Kool-Aid in plastic cups and saltine crackers. Thankfully, I never had to clean it up. Samantha was good about keeping after that. For being five, she's quite tidy. I blew it off at first. Every kid has imaginary friends. I had them, and my wife had them. The stress of the move probably just had her cling on to this one a little longer. Then Joey started bringing Doritos into the closet. Doritos were his favorite snack. Cheesy fingerprints typically stay in his shorts. It makes laundry a pain, but that's life when you have kids. Joey was never the imaginary friend's type, though. He maybe had one when he was Samantha's age, and that phase lasted no more than a week. So this was a little weird. I decided to ask more about Walter. I walked into Samantha's bedroom to see Samantha and Joey kneeling next to the closet, quiet as mice. I cleared my throat, and both jumped like they had heard a gunshot. Joey instinctively kicked the door shut. Hi, Dad, he said. I walked in and opened the closet door. Nothing in there except an empty plate with Doritos crumbs and a cup that had spilled a single drop of red juice in the carpet. So, uh, Walter likes your Doritos, bud? I said. Joey nodded. He likes snacks. He mumbled. What's Walter like? Satisfied the closet was empty. I closed the door and turned to my kids. Samantha and Joey brightened up before they both began sharing bits of info with me. He's blonde. He's starting to go bald, just like Uncle Craig. He wears suspenders. He's very quiet. He's got a big old hole in the side of his head. He's here to protect us. He really likes Doritos. I raised my hand. Now hold on. Back the train up. What do you mean, protect us? I wasn't even going to touch the whole thing. It was like they knew they said too much. Samantha's hand flew up to cover her mouth while Joey looked at the ground. Samantha spoke up first. He says there's something in the forest. Something in the barn. Something really, really bad. She said, barely above a whisper. The bedroom door slammed shut and I nearly screamed. I walked backward to the door and slowly opened it back up. No one in the hall. And today had been too cold to leave the windows open. I'm probably different than most people in this situation. I actually believe in ghosts. I had some experiences as a teen that turned me into a believer. Lydia laughed out when I told her I thought our daughter had a ghost in her closet. But I didn't expect anything different. She's the skeptic of the two of us. So I decided to dig into the history of the house. 
This place has been tossed around quite a bit. Most owners didn't keep it for over a year. Heck, one couple and their daughter actually moved out after two weeks. I kept digging and I found something dated from before the current house was built. I found Walter. His full name was Walter Griggs. He had three kids. He was a widower. He hadn't remarried. But one day, the house was burned down with Walter inside. The kids were never found. The common theory was that Walter killed his kids, and then himself, when he couldn't live with the guilt. God knows what he did with the bodies. I was chilled to the damn bone when I realized my kids were talking to a murderous ghost. I called a family meeting. Lydia was less than impressed, but she went with it. Guys, we need to stop talking to Walter and giving him snacks. Lydia rolled her eyes. Kurt, it's just to be safe. Walter might have done some bad things. Elliot blurted out, but he's nice. He tells stories and talks about the good old days. He immediately regretted speaking as he saw my face go pale. Even Lydia looked unsettled. Elliot was too old for imaginary friends and far too practical. Even as a tiny tot, he wrinkled his nose at the idea of having a friend he made up. This only confirmed my theory. Walter was a ghost and the original owner of the property. Samantha sniffled, her eyes filling with tears. But, but what if he gets hungry? She asked. And what if the, the folk come around? The ones he's warned us about? Joey shivered. I sighed. Guys, I don't know what Walter really is, but I do believe he's not something Samantha made up, and I believe he's not safe. Samantha, we're going to move you into the other room for now. We'll start hunting for a new house as soon as we can, but until then, leave Walter alone. Do not talk to him. Do not give him snacks. All right, guys? Samantha bolted from the room, crying. Joey turned into the couch to hide his tears. Elliot was the only one who nodded and said yes, but I knew he was upset too. I surrounded the closet with a ring of salt. I would have burned sage or whatever you do, but I had no idea how to get my hands on some. So salt was the best I could do. Plus, I was able to tell if the kids tried to approach the closet this way. I looked up tips on how to make ghosts go away. Lydia, for once, was not laughing at my crazed paranoia. Samantha was the most resentful of the kids. I caught her at least twice, trying to sneak into her old bedroom with a plate of saltines. Each time she was scolded and I reminded her it wasn't safe, but I knew she didn't believe me. Perhaps she knew more than I did. Things were finally settling. I got a new job and we were house hunting once again. Samantha still sulked, but Joey was over it, running about in the big backyard we had and playing games with a few of the neighbor kids. Then one night I woke up, and there was Walter, sitting in a chair in the corner of the room. He was as solid as you or me, exactly as the kids described him. Middle-aged, blonde, balding, 
suspenders over his blood-splattered shirt and the hole in his head. It looked like half his skull had been blown off. One eye had gone with it, while the other, a deep blue, stared me down. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't even wake up Lydia. Walter sighed before he got up and motioned for me to stand and follow him. Like I was pulled on strings, I got up. Walter's voice was quiet and hoarse, like he had strep and still couldn't speak. It's too late, he whispered. Go, hurry. I lost my children to the folk, but you can still save yours. I ran to the kids' bedrooms, feeling Walter's cold breath on the back of my neck. Each bed was empty. The sheets pulled away and their windows open. I almost collapsed, but Walter's ice-cold grip dragged me back to my feet. No time for panic, son. Go, he said between gasps. I didn't even put on my shoes. I ran out into the backyard. The forest was now glowing with bright lights. I could hear the piping of flutes and the pound of drums. I took off running, Walter on my heels. I pushed through the bushes and nearly tripped on piles of old leaves. Following the source of the sound, I stumbled into the clearing, which was now bright as day. My three children were standing around a woman wearing a white gown. She was in every way perfect, beautiful with dark curls cascading down her back. She was tall, taller than me even, and I'm no short guy. Her hands were spread out, and Samantha was reaching for her. I heard the scream of a man in agony. Not again! Walter rushed in, growing bigger, bigger, bigger. His essence swallowed the light. The clearing was now ice cold. I could see my breath coming out in puffs in front of me. The woman stumbled backwards, eyes growing in shock, as Walter now towered over her. These children are not going with you, fair folk, he howled. Not this time. The woman turned and fled. Before my very eyes, she stepped into a ring of mushrooms and vanished into thin air. Walter shrunk back to the size of a man before he turned to look at me. I couldn't say anything. I wanted to apologize. I'd horribly misjudged the ghost of a grieving father who lost his children to something otherworldly, and he'd saved my children from the same fate. Walter smiled crookedly before he vanished. I ran up to my kids. They were still entranced, pupils blown out, and they didn't recognize my voice. I got them back home and rushed them to the emergency room. The doctor had no explanation. About an hour after they'd been checked in, they came to with no ill side effects and no reason why they'd been out of it. Elliot said he heard a woman's voice outside the window and that she was offering treats, but that was the last thing he could remember. They were in observation for a day before they were released, but by then I'd changed my protection plan. I didn't put scissors or knives in their beds, but my wife did get a hold of some pieces of iron from a friend's garage, and she created small statuettes of our kids' favorite animals with the iron set inside of it. A tiger for Elliot, a monkey for Joey, 
and a bunny for Samantha. I've now taken to going up to that old closet with a glass of whiskey and a portion of whatever was for dinner. Haven't seen Walter again, but I've caught glimpses of his smile as I'm closing the closet door. I think he was getting a little tired of strawberry Kool-Aid. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I hope you enjoyed Walter the Ghost by author Kitty Olson, as performed by yours truly. If you're like me and can't get enough of haunting narratives like that one, you won't want to miss the next one either. In it, you'll be asked to consider how well do we know the people we love? As it turns out, for our protagonist, it may not be as well as we would like. But according to the deathbed story of an elderly father, some people know us a lot better than we might ever want them to know. Without further ado, I present to you, My Father Survived the Chair of Truth. I was the only one home when my father called me in for his deathbed confession. He wasn't very old in the grand scheme of things, only 58, but after a violent mugging that took place about 20 years ago, his physical health hadn't always been great. It really took a downhill turn last year. Heart failure, and it just wasn't getting better. My sister Amber and I were taking care of him as his health deteriorated. Last week, though, Amber was running errands for our grandmother, so yeah, I was alone. My dad called for me. I thought he might need a drink or getting help to the bathroom. Instead, he told me to sit down. He told me I needed to know the truth, the truth about the mugging and about what really happened that night. After all of this, he'd pass in his sleep a few hours later. I can't ask for any more details. All I can do is relay this story for you and find out how much truth there really is to it. What follows is his confession word for word. You know, if your mother and I weren't in the middle of our first separation, it may never have happened. I wouldn't have been alone in bed that night, alone in the house, since she took your older sister with her and you were still two months out from being born. That following morning, I was found on the streets, all bloodied up, pockets turned out and missing my shoes. They concluded I had been mugged. I let them maintain that conclusion. I hadn't even left my house the night before. It was an early night. I was tired from work. I basically passed out on the couch while the TV was on. I don't remember if anyone broke in, if I woke up before they abducted me. The next thing I do remember 
waking up strapped to a chair dressed in white scrubs with electrodes, plastered on my now shaved head, and sitting with a circle of people in the exact same condition. I only recognized three of the other people there, and I only knew two of their names. One of my classmates from back when I was in high school was to my right. I barely recognized Magnolia since most of her blonde hair had been shaved off. A few patches were still plastered to her scalp. Whoever had taken the razor to our heads hadn't been the most meticulous about it. Perhaps it was because they had a lot to get done before we woke up. The other two I recognized were Augusta, an older woman who lived down the street from where I grew up, and the homeless man that I usually saw begging for cash in downtown was to my left. I didn't know his name. I only recognized him because he'd been there every day. There were eight of us in total. The woman, right across from me, had smeared lipstick and a cut on her forehead. Maybe the razor had slipped during her head shave. Next to her was another woman with long, fake fingernails and a natural scowl that was even there when she was unconscious, like she sucked on lemons in her spare time. The most conscious of us was a middle-aged guy with a few more bruises than the rest of us. I imagine he put up a fight. He was a big dude. Finally, there was this portly, smaller man who didn't need his head shaved since he was already bald as an egg. Magnolia began breathing faster when she came to full consciousness, glancing around wildly and in full panic. What the hell? Where am I? What's going on? She yanked at the straps, which didn't do so much as budge. Get these things off me. Help! Uh, Someone help! The burly bruised guy shushed her loudly. Quiet down. Don't want to alert the wrong people we're up against. He craned his neck around to look at the room around us. It was quite bare, other than the circle of people strapped to heavy-duty chairs. Dark brick walls, a cement floor with a drain in the center. The only light was in the center of the ceiling, and that thing was set as bright as it could go. Everyone looked a little washed out, a little pale, sickly. The one thing I had missed was the speaker, attached to the wall right behind my head. It cracked to life before shrieking with feedback. This definitely got everyone awake, the portly fellow moaning and bitching the loudest, while the woman with smeared lipstick being the only one perfectly quiet. Her eyes I remember the most, dark and careful. She was watching everyone in the room. Welcome, everyone. Once the feedback died down, the male voice coming from it was perfectly calm, smooth. It would have almost been soothing if the situation surrounding it wasn't so bizarre. I am the judge. I flexed against the bindings experimentally. There was no coming loose from them. I was stuck there here for whatever this judge had planned. You sit in them now because you've all committed crimes. Crimes ranging from wet lies to ones that may result in capital punishment. The scowling woman's jaw dropped. What do you mean capital punishment? This is my courtroom. Where we are, no one will hear you scream. I advise you don't cry out unless you can't avoid it. The judge didn't even take note of the interruption. These are my chairs of truth. When we're finished, 
You will pay for what you've done. If you lie or talk your way around the truth, you'll be punished. We'll start with you, Connie. The scowling woman sputtered. How dare you? I'm not a criminal. Do you know who I am? Yes, of course I do. Connie Andrews. The judge sounded almost amused. I know everything about you. Your first question is this. Where do you go every Wednesday afternoon? Are you for real? Connie looked genuinely baffled. We're starting with an easy question. One that has a minor effect on your life, legally or illegally. Where do you go every Wednesday afternoon? Connie looked relieved. Uh, I get my nails done. Her fingers tapped on the arm of her chair. What, is that a crime? We'll come back to that. Frankie. Can I call you Frankie? Frank Smith? The burly guy shifted in his chair. You can, he decided. Frank, during high school, what was the extracurricular you and your wife participated in? I was a football player. She was a cheerleader. Frank cleared his throat. And who are you? The judge quietly chuckled. I am not important. I'm here only to fulfill judgment, officer. He cleared his throat. On to the next. Augusta Armstrong. How many children do you have? My neighbor looked terrified, shaking in her chair like a scared chihuahua. I have five. The light of my life. Please, please, let me go, she whimpered. If you answer these questions, we can see about that. Charles Nolan. When I get out of here, I'm going to sue you. The man snapped, lurching in his chair. It didn't so much as budge. It had been bolted to the floor. Charles, what is your occupation? No need for specifics. You like those, I'm aware. Businessman. I work for... Charles suddenly breathed in sharply. I had to crane my neck around the homeless guy to see what had happened. I only caught the glimpse of what looked like a sewing needle exiting Charles's arm and going back into the chair, a pinpoint of blood beating from his skin. Oh, God. I took a better look at the chair, which I'd only assumed was a heavy-duty wooden chair. Now I saw there were holes in it, some small enough for needles to come out and jab, Others, thin slats that looked large enough for daggers to come out and slice through us. When I say something, I advise you to listen. The judge explained patiently. Harley Scott. The homeless man lifted his head up. I'd never heard his name before then. It was strange, finally putting a name to the face I'd seen so often. Yes, he said barely louder than a whisper. Uh, Harley, what branch of the military were you in, and what was your rank? Uh, Army. Harley swallowed. Private. Edward Atkins. I flinched when I heard my name. What's the date of your wedding anniversary? I actually had to think for a second. My mind was running blank. What is the date of your wedding anniversary? Don't make me ask a third time. I swallowed the lump in my throat. Uh, it's June 6th. I managed to get out. 
I felt genuine relief when he went on to Magnolia, asking what she did for some extra spending cash, and she responded that she was a babysitter. The final question was asked to the woman with smeared lipstick and careful eyes, and it asked where she'd lived. I don't remember the exact address, but I know it was in a rough part of town. Part of town I'd never go, anyway. The judge sighed, sounding pleased with our cooperation. Very good, so far. Only one punishment had to be doled out, he said. Now go screw yourself. Charles snapped. This did get the needle jabbing back into his arm, right where the wound had just begun to scab over. These questions are not going to get any easier. In fact, they will be harder. So learn to cooperate and answer truthfully now. It will save you later. I expected him to start going around the circle again. Instead, the voice surprised me. What's your occupation, Delilah? Unem... Delilah cut herself off, sighing. I bet that's not what you mean. Fine. Sex worker, prostitute, hooker, whatever you want to call it. That what you wanted to hear? Very well. Charles, how did your friend Rosemary Marshall make so much money from your company's stock? Charles shifted. Good luck? He tried to lie so poorly, though, that no one was convinced. I didn't expect to hear the crackle of electricity and for Charles' eyes to bug out of his sockets, his teeth clamping so tight as his body jolted with electric current running through his veins. When he finally did manage to scream, he flopped back against his chair, screeching and howling at the top of his lungs. The room beforehand reeked of antiseptic. Now I could detect a faint hint of urine. The rest of us sat in mostly dumb silence, the only sounds being Charles gasping for breath and Augusta crying. I certainly didn't know how to react. Charles... Answer the question correctly. I, Charles swallowed, I gave her some information that helped her out. She's a single mom. She needed the money. Which you took a cut from. About $10,000. A high price from the single mom you claim you sympathize with. Edward? Oh, no. How'd you pass your final exam in algebra, senior year? I actually sighed with relief. That wasn't nearly as bad as I expected, since I was following up on Charles' question. My friend helped me cheat. Your friend's name? Jordan. Jordan Mills. He was a genius. He knew I needed his help. He gave me the answers. The judge paused for a moment before turning on Magnolia. And you, Magnolia, how did you pass your SATs with such high scores? Remember, I can see the rest of your grades. They're barely mediocre. What? There. Magnolia glanced over at Charles, who still looked like a mess. I cheated too, she grumbled. Both of you, such poor students in the same graduating year. The judge tutted his tongue. Our future generation is looking so promising already. Frankie, what happened to the cocaine from the raid on the wolf home? It's in evidence. The answer came out so fast, I think 
Frankie didn't even consider it a lie. For a second, I thought it wasn't a lie either. Then the knife came out and sliced clean through the meat of his shoulder. To his credit, Frankie just breathed in sharply, gritted his teeth, and took it. I presume you want to change your answer. The judge asked as the knife slid back out, blood now staining Frank's white scrubs. Mm-hmm. Frank exhaled slowly, his body shaking, as his face went white. M me and another officer took some, S sold it to someone we knew was the dealer, therefore putting it back on the streets that you swore to take it off of. It's different. Frankie swallowed, his eyes fluttering shut as his shoulder continued to bleed. The original punks were dealing to high schoolers, kids. The dealer we sold to, he only sold it to thugs who have already ruined their lives. An interesting point of view, for sure, the judge said. Now, Augusta, how did you get your eldest to sleep sometimes? Oh, I'd rock him to sleep. Augusta bobbed her head up and down. He was always so fussy, and she didn't even get a chance to finish her lie. Her whole body seized up, and she screeched as the electric crackle filled the room. It wasn't as long a shock as it was for Charles, but Augusta looked far worse for wear, gasping and coughing as she tried to calm down. Augusta, stop lying. Augusta wailed before her head flopped forward. A uh, little whiskey in his bottle. Never really hurt anyone. Honest. How could I hurt even my own children, she said. I was blown away. Magnolia cheated on SATs, a police officer dealing drugs, and now one of the nicest neighbors on my block gave her kids alcohol so they'd sleep better. Jesus Christ. It didn't get better. That first round wasn't always fair. After all, I had to do was answer for a false grade, and Harley admitted he took part in a military hazing in which the poor victim had to streak across the base naked. Meanwhile, Connie confessed to cheating with a married man and convincing him to leave his wife for her, only to completely blow him off once the wife took the sap for all it was worth. He couldn't spoil her if he was broke, after all. I only lied once. I learned quickly enough after that. It was over something stupid about driving drunk and getting into an accident slammed into a tree. Jordan covered for me that time, too. Said he was the one driving since I was tanked. I'd never been electrocuted before that day, and I never want to again. I didn't judge Charles for butting his pants after that. You lose all control when you get shocked like that, and that's all I'll say about it. It's amazing how often some of them chose to lie, and which ones chose not to. Delilah never once lied, completely blank-faced as she told us how she robbed one of her Johns of everything in his wallet because he passed out drunk, or how she didn't tell her boyfriend that she tested positive for gonorrhea, although the judge was kind enough to inform her that it was likely him that infected her, and not vice versa. Harley only lied twice, once about the hazing, and another time about how he abandoned his pregnant girlfriend 
without even a note. Meanwhile, Charles had to be shocked and stabbed nearly every other question, and Augusta lied literally every time. The elderly woman, I thought, was the kindest soul, admitted to so many awful things, some things I can't even say. All I can say is I pity those poor children of hers, with such a nightmare mom that would beat them for shattering a glass, or literally calling the police on her second youngest when he brought his black girlfriend home. She had claimed the girl was trying to rob them. Actual sociopath. We're all devils, you know. Devils with different sins blackening our hands, tearing up our souls. No one is innocent. And the judge knew every one of those sins, no matter how some of us tried to hide them. I wish I knew how he knew that Frankie beat a suspect to get a confession, only for it to be revealed that the suspect was innocent all along. I can't even imagine how he found out that Magnolia slashed her ex-boyfriend's tires because she was so mad at him for dumping her, especially since he dumped her since she was so goddamn controlling he couldn't even see his friends. For that final round, we all looked messed up, shocked, stabbed with everything from knitting needles to steak knives, being forced to reveal our darkest secrets around people that were acquaintances at best, and most were just strangers. It's time for your final question. You'll only have one chance to answer this properly. We'll start with Augusta. Augusta definitely looked the worst off. Like I said, she lied every question, sometimes even more than once. I was surprised she was still alive. Augusta, how did your eldest two children die? Augusta shakily inhaled, and my heart sunk to the bottom of my stomach. Doctors don't know. I don't either. Mystery illness took my babies from me when they were just six and four years old. Let me go home, Augusta whined. The judge sighed. Augusta, that's not the truth. And I told you this time would only get one chance to answer correctly. The door in the far end of the room opened, and the judge finally walked out. We finally saw his face. He was tall, well-built, probably at least a little handsome, but by that time my brain felt like watery pudding, so all I could do was blankly stare at him. He pushed in front of him a television connected to a VHS player, tape stacked on top of the screen. The judge plucked the first tape up, and showing us all the name Augusta written in black sharpie on the front. He placed the tape in the VHS player and stepped back. It was a recording of medical documents, a lot of them. The camera panned over several paragraphs, nice and slow, so we could get the general gist. And the general gist? Augusta's children would get sick for no discernible reason, but would recover at the hospital. Once they got sent back home, they'd just get sick again. And then one day, they both just got too sick and passed away. Munchausen's by proxy, the judge said. And I saw true pain in his eyes as he stood by the wall, where eight switches were neatly lined up. Each of them had a name beneath them, our names. What are your final words, Augusta? I... Augusta shook her head. 
No, I loved my children. I really did. She paused to take a breath, and that's when the judge flipped the switch. Augusta writhed, and her eyes went so wide, they looked like they were going to fall out of her head. She wailed one last time before her eyes rolled back, and then the only movement from her came from the electric current. The switch was turned off, and the judge looked back at us. Then he raised his hands and had his fingers ready for Delilah's switch. Delilah, the woman, the truthful woman, finally looked up. Yes, she asked. The judge stared at her. Your boyfriend, Calvin McLaughlin? Was his murder premeditated? Yes. Delilah bowed her head. He had friends in the forest. He was getting out of jail for nearly killing me because none of them believed me. So I just waited for him to get home. I waited for him to get drunk, and I wasn't going to wait for that first punch. So I took a baseball bat and I smashed his head in. It was deathly quiet, a pause, before the judge lowered his hand from Delilah's switch. The judge turned his gaze on Frankie, who went pale. How did your wife die, Frankie? he asked. Frankie, to his credit, did come off as convincing. Car accident. She went off the road, killed her instantly, he said. The judge did his best to hide any emotion to us. But I did see that look of murderous intent as he grabbed another VHS that had Frankie's name written on it. He put it in. Another recording of another document, an autopsy report, about how a Mrs. Nancy Smith had many injuries that were in different phases of healing, how her ribs had been broken multiple times in the past, and this time one of those rib fragments broke free and punctured her heart. Followed by that were reports, doctor's reports, about Nancy's many visits to the hospital, all for accidents. Was Nancy that clumsy, Frankie? The judge asked quietly. I highly doubt it. Your last words? You don't understand, Frankie blurted out. No one seems to understand how hard our job is, what we see. It takes a toll. It's not my fault that Nancy didn't get it. I turned away from his electrical death, and when I heard the chair powering down, I looked up to see a froth bubbling from the dead cop's lips, his dead eyes staring at the now flickering light on the ceiling. Connie Andrews. Connie slowly looked up at the judge, her face twisted in rage. Where did you get the poison for all of the husbands you killed? Screw you! She spat at him, saliva landing on his clean white shirt. The judge simply wiped it off, picked up another tape that no doubt had her name on it, and put it in the VHS player. This time it wasn't a document. It was a woman exiting a nail salon and heading into a small drugstore that happened to be right next door. It was clear the video was taken from someone's car. Connie exited the store about ten minutes later with a small bag. A newspaper was raised in front of the camera, revealing the date. This was two days before your third husband mysteriously passed in his sleep. Your last words. 
Connie went white as the judge raised his hand for a switch. No, wait. Don't do it. I'll give you whatever you want. I'll confess. I'll tell the truth. She yelped. Click. The acrid smell of Connie's fake fingernails melting was so bad it made my head spin. Magnolia shook her head wildly as the judge went to her switch next. I never hurt anyone. What the hell are you doing? She screamed, thrashing about so wildly, I thought she might actually tear an arm free. What did you tell your boyfriend, Zachary Cullen, to do before he shot and killed himself? The judges stare. <laughs> that, that wasn't my fault. Magnolia shook her head again and again, the strap holding her head in place actually coming loose. How was that my fault? The judge held up a finger before pulling a voice recorder from his pocket. This doesn't need video, he said simply before he hit play. The conversation I heard, I can't repeat it. It was too terrible. Magnolia telling her boyfriend again and again how worthless he was, how he was such a pathetic waste of space, and she couldn't wait for him to kill himself because that was the only good thing he'd ever do for himself. The recording ended with a gunshot. The judge cocked his head to the side. Your last words? How was that my fault? Was all she wrote. Being right next to the person being shocked, it's... It's so disgusting. I could smell the burning hair and skin, hear every garbled sound that ripped its way out of her throat as she jolted and contorted in horrifying ways. Charles moaned loudly as the judge approached the switch. Don't, don't ask, he said, even though he knew what would happen. Charles, last month, early morning, rushing to work because you were late, did anything happen on that drive? Charles didn't even speak, he just shook his head. Another tape was taken off of the VHS player, the judge flashing the front to show off Charles' name. This was from a traffic cam. A couple was walking across the street, probably the same age your mother and I were at the time. The collision happened so fast, the car slammed into them and sent the man flying over the hood while the woman was crushed under the car. The car stopped for a moment, just a moment, and I recognized the bald head that poked its head out the window, just for a second. And then he zoomed off, leaving the bodies broken and bleeding in the street. Mr. Oscar Long was dead on arrival, but Miss Hannah Garcia, she took longer to die, and she suffered for every minute of it. Do I even need to ask for your last words? It was just an accident, Charles wailed. I don't need to describe what happened next, I'm sure you know by now. Another human being electrocuted to death, executed by the expressionless judge. Harley sighed shakily as the judge looked at him. And was all the judge said. I know what I did was wrong. Harley admitted, his head bowed before he raised it and looked at the judge. So I will not be confessing today, Judge. I know what I deserve. The judge paused and I caught a glimpse of something. Sympathy, being a part of the massacre of a village of innocent people, and then covering it up. The act of a cowardly soldier. 
So I believe this is the bravest thing you've ever done. Just end it already. Harley said, his eyes closing as he prepared for the shock. I won't make you suffer. For a moment I thought the judge might have an inkling of mercy in him. Instead he crossed the room of corpses and grabbed Harley's head. It was so efficient, the twist of his head, the snap of his neck. Harley was dead in less time than it takes to finish a sentence. Perhaps it was mercy in the judge's mind. It was certainly quicker than what the others went through, that was for sure. The only people left that were still alive in that room were me, Delilah, and the judge. I was the only one left who had a final question. He went to his switches. I knew what he was going to ask. Why did you kill Jordan Mills, Edward? I took a deep breath. Because I was in love with his girlfriend and she wouldn't give me a second look as long as Jordan was alive. And the girlfriend? We're married now. Have a daughter. We have another kid on the way. Delilah stared at me, probably shook that someone else confessed their most dirty secret, their most wicked of sins. The judge nodded. And with that, court is adjourned. The judge left the room, coming back later with two needles. He jabbed one into Delilah's neck, the woman's eyes flickering as she fell unconscious. Why did you do this? I asked as the judge walked up to me, tilting my head to the side with the hands he just used to murder six people. So you never do it again. The judge hissed before the needle entered my neck. The next thing I know, I'm lying on the street, cops are all around me, asking if I was okay and what happened. I was back in the clothes I'd fallen asleep with. The only sign that anything that had happened was the bruises on my wrist and the memories. Oh, I know you never expected me to have taken a life, too. I regret it. Jordan was kind to me. It was a moment of rage, something not at all planned out. I was just lucky no one ever found the body until it was too decomposed to really tell anything. Everyone assumed he fell off the hiking trail, hit his head on the way down, causing his death. I paid for it my own way, of course. Ever since that night in the Chair of Truth, I've practically been a saint. Paid my taxes, watched my words, donated time and money to help others, and even when your mother finally left me for good, I never held it against her. Why? Well, it's hard to do anything wrong when you know someone's gone through your life with a fine-toothed comb. The fact someone is still watching me no matter what I do, and I feel if I ever slip up again, I'd wake up in a chair, and next time I'd not get away so easily. And I hope, my son, that you learn from my mistakes— that no matter how well you hide your sins, you will be found out, whether in the afterlife or this one. I hope you enjoyed My Father Survived the Chair of Truth by author Kitty Olson, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, 
I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Olson. Once again, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Olson, spelled O-L-S-E-N. That'll take you to her profile on creepypastastories.com, where you'll find links to her Amazon page and all of her websites and social media, where you can pick up a copy of her many books, drop her a line, or check out more of her work for free on Reddit. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's books or stories a read, please consider leaving her a quality review and a kind word or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let her know you heard about her on this program and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine and would bring a smile to Kitty's face as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. All of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, 
check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jivey channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.